High five someone around you, say looking good today. And now the person you didn't want to talk to, talk to them too. High five them. If they're not paying attention, just slap them, slap them, slap them. It's good. Hey, we had a little bit of fun over the last couple of weeks advertising Easter. Who took the car paint last week and painted your windows? Who did that? Let me see your hands going up. Fantastic, fantastic. We've got some winners that we want to announce. Um, Miss... Glory won the best window, and that's absolutely awesome. And then Miss Connie won the best way to display for Easter. And we're excited about that. We do some fun stuff here, and each one of them are receiving a $15 gift card for Chick-fil-A. Only one problem, you can't use it today. You cannot use it today. Closed on Sunday, which is a good thing, a good thing. You know, I'm so glad every one of you are here with us right now. I wish every one of you could have been here with us on Friday night to hear a message we taught on having a revelation of the love of God, because that's really important to understand and to know how much He loves us. Because the world tells us different. Our mind, our hearts sometimes tell us different, but we need to know how much He loves us. Us. And at first I wrote down how we need to understand how much, but then I had to change that because I don't understand why he loves me. I just got to be honest. I don't understand it. I can't figure it all out. And that's what we discovered. You can't figure it out with a logic mind because all the wrong that we've done, everything that we've messed up, to think that God would still choose to love us many times is incomprehensible. We cannot get our head around that, but he does. And he doesn't just kind of say, well, hey, let's think about how we're going to be today. Are we going to kind of like each other today? No, he loves you each and every day. And the love that he has for you is the theme for this weekend. It's an audacious love. I love that word audacious. It means bold. It means daring. It means fearless, intrepid, brave, courageous, valiant, heroic. That's the love that he has for each and every one of us. An unconditional Love. And uncon- what does unconditional mean? Here's a great statement for you. Are you ready? There is nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. That's what unconditional means. Because He already loves you perfectly and eternally. Let me say that again. There's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter where you're at. There is nothing you can do that would make God love you more or love you Less, Because even when you're at your worst, God is still at his best. And again, hard to get your head around. And that's why it's got to be revealed. That's why it's got to be accepted in our heart. Do you know that you can miss eternity by 18 inches? 
18 inches is the distance between heaven and hell. What are you talking about? Between your head and your heart, they say, is roughly 18 inches because we can believe it up here, but we've got to receive it and have a revelation of it in our hearts for it to take root and to bring the hope that we need. So let's look at our scripture for today. Our scripture comes from Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. And you can follow in your Bibles or follow along on the screen. And it says this words, for it is Christ who died and further is more also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, you may say, hold on a second, Pastor, you missed the first part of that verse, the first five words. Who then will condemn us? Yes, I did miss those words for this reason. Why? Because I think if we were to start by reading that, we would shut off many of us because right off the bat we would say, oh, he's condemned us. There's no hope. There's no future. It, it's over. But we would wrongly do that because look what the New Living Translation says. I love how it presents it. It says this, who then shall condemn us? Can you go back? You're on the wrong one. Who then shall condemn us? No one. Come on. No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life. I love that. He is raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Who's going to condemn us? He says no one. No one. For Christ has died. That's what we're celebrating, the fact that he died for each and every one of us. But that's not the end. That's just a comma. Because it's not the end of the equation. It's not the end of the sentence. Because he died, but then he rose again. He is raised to life. And now he is seated in heavenly places, in a place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Notice he's not condemning you. God is interceding for you. He is pleading for you. Listen to me. That means he's not against you, but he is on your side. I'm glad today that I have a God that is on my side. I'm glad that God wants me to be successful in my life. I'm glad that God doesn't, isn't waiting for me to fail so he can say, oh, I told you so. I'm glad that if I fail, he's waiting to pick me up and say, come on, there's another opportunity. There's another chance. I am on your side. I am for you and I love you. And that's what we've got to see today. We've got to see that important truth. We've got to see that image of who Christ is. Why? Because the lies are all around us. Satan throws lies out. Because most people don't see God as a God like that. They don't see Him as a loving, caring God. For the entirety of this month, we've been looking at a small little word called if. Say with me, if. It's a conditional conjunction. It can determine the difference. It's a difference maker. If we will do, then we've discovered that God will do. But our goal throughout the whole of the month, and just like our service today, is we want you to trade in your if-only regrets. The place where you're at right now, we want you to trade those in for what-if possibilities. That you would realize that God has great things in store for your life and God wants to bless your life. Anyone remember the old Polaroid camera? Kelly, can you bring that up? 
Anyone remember the old Polaroids? Anyone? Come on, put your hand up. Come on, don't be shy. Showing your age. Pretty old if you remember the Polaroids. Polaroids were absolutely incredible. They were a big deal in their day. Come on. And then what? Shake it a little bit. The image came. It was a big deal because we never had anything like that. Today we're so spoilt that we have a phone that we can instantly take a message or a picture at any time, any place, and we can see it. So who, who knows some people that as soon as you've taken a picture, they're like, let me see that, let me see that, let me see that. I'm married to one of those. It doesn't matter how good I look in the picture. If she ain't looking good, it ain't been posted. And most of the time, the ones that have been posted, I ain't looking good, but she's looking good. Unfair. Anyone with me on that? Unfair. I'm just going to vent. I'm just going to get that out. I'm just going to. It's unfair. But think about it. We never had that. We didn't know what the picture looked like. We had to go and buy film to put in the camera first and foremost. Then we had to take the film out carefully. You couldn't expose it because if you did, the pictures would be gone. And you had to take it to a store and you had to send it away. You had to pay for it. You had to wait sometimes 10 days for your pictures to come. But the Polaroid, wow, changed everything. They're making a comeback. They look a little bit cooler now than what they used to, don't they? Look a little bit cooler. But again, it was just, you press the button. And when you press the button, what happens? I don't know. Let's see. Oh, something begins to come out. I wonder today if we took a snapshot right now of your mind, what the image of Christ would look like. I wonder in your mind, as you're developing all the thoughts and all the situations of life all around you, the dark room of your mind, I wonder today if God is smiling on your picture. I wonder if He's frowning at you. I wonder if He's laughing and He's full of joy. Or I wonder if He's standoffish. I wonder if He is warm and welcoming with His arms open wide. Or do you have His back? Because He has no desire, you think, to be a part of your life. Unfortunately for many, not always the greatest image of God is going to come to mind. The image of God is not really great. We don't see it. We don't feel it. So many times we don't like the God that we see and society is not helping us right now. They are painting such a picture in a wrong way of the image and likeness of what God is. And it's not even that they are distorting His image and trying to change His image. Now, like never in history, we are faced with situations and circumstances and people around that their goal in life is to literally eliminate the image of God. Atheism. Against a God. There is no God. Is running rampant. It breaks my heart when my 13 year old son comes home and tells me at lunch. He's sitting with kids of like age. 13 years of age. Who are atheists and don't believe that there's even a God. How can you even begin to come to a conclusion like that. Without being in an environment where it's been taught and it's been fed to you. The world is trying to do everything it can to distort the image of God. What happens is this. If it can't distort the image of God, it goes to the next best thing and destroys our lives. Who were made in the image and the likeness of God. 
And the problem so many times is our image of God is a mirror image of what we see in ourselves. The hurt, the pain, the rejection. And that's what we see of God. Throw away the mirror, get out the window again and look through yourself. Because as you look through, you will see the perfect image of God. A God that loves you. A God that is for you. I would say today for most people, one of the most prominent images that people would recall to their mind of Christ would be a Christ upon a cross. I'm sure we can all see that, a Christ upon a cross. Maybe for some of you, it's the good shepherd. Remember the picture with him with the lamb over his shoulder and just kind of hanging out. The images of God that we have etched into our mind. And I thank God for the image of the cross. There's no greater image, perhaps, than the image of the cross. But I just got to say something today. That's not where he is. That's not where he is today. There's an empty cross now. And there's an empty tomb. Come on, I'm not trying to mess up with you a little bit. But if you're wearing a cross with a Christ still on it, I've got news for you. He's not there anymore. He, you need to be wearing an empty cross because it symbolizes, yes, well, we remember what he did. But we're living in the celebration now of what we have available to us. It's an empty, empty cross. And now, as we just read, he is now Seated. That's what we just read. He has sat down, the Bible says, at the right hand of the Father, making intercession, pleading for us. You see, when we read stuff like that, I think we can then jump to another wrong conclusion. Okay, so he sat down over there and I'm over here. Oh, that kind of makes sense. That means, so he's distanced himself from my problems. He's not concerning about me anymore. He doesn't care about me anymore. So that's why I'm struggling in life. No, no, no. You've got the wrong image of what he's trying to do. You've got the wrong viewpoint of what he's trying to do. The reason why he is seated is because of this. He's already done it all. He has already done it all. What do I mean by that? When he hung upon a cross and he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know what, well, not what they do. And then he cried out, it is finished. He paid every penalty for sin, past, present and future for our lives. And that's why today he doesn't have to be sweating. He doesn't have to freak out when Trigger wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I didn't see that sin coming. He is seated because he's already made provision. For every sin that we would ever do. He is sat interceding. He is sat pleading for your life. And I want you to know something. His intercession is more than just a prayer. He is engaged in your life. He is involved in your life. He wants to see you work and be victorious and be successful and see you blessed. But he wants you to step into that which he has already done. That's why he's seated because he doesn't have to try and fix your problems. He took care of your problems. So now he is praying for you. He's pleading for you. He's speaking, commanding, leading you. Why? Because he's already made it possible. You just need to choose his way. You just need to follow his voice. And you just need to listen to him. A couple of weeks ago, I gave some couples, Chip and Nina, I know, I gave them a a voucher for a restaurant. And when I gave them the voucher, I said, how was the meal? And they're like looking at me like, what? We didn't go. 
And I began to think about that when I was preparing this message about God sat down. That what he did on the cross is he gave us a voucher. What do I mean by that? When you go to the restaurant, you're not going to have to pay again. You can just give them that voucher. You're not going to have to bring out your credit card and swipe it again. Why? Because he paid it once and for all. I want you to know that Jesus paid the price for you once and for all. That you can live a free, a whole, a blessed, a future of a life. He has the best in store for you. Anyone in here ever heard of Angelo Dundee? Anyone ever heard of Angelo Dundee? Come on, put your hands up if you've heard of Angelo. Very few of you perhaps know that name. But how about if I mention this name, Muhammad Ali? Who's ever heard of Muhammad Ali? Arguably the greatest heavyweight champion of the entire world. Well, Angelo Dundee, for more than two decades, was in the champion's corner. He was the one that in the fights that he was inspiring and he was speaking to him and he was building him up and he was making him what he needed to be. And one day someone asked him, would you describe your role? Almost belittling because, I mean, what role do you really, you don't throw the punch, you don't do nothing. I mean, what role do you think you have in the corner? And Angelo says these words, he says, when you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, you're an engineer, and you're a psychologist. In other words, you got to do whatever is needed to make them continue and come out of the corner. Oh, he was a champion, but he went to a corner a few times defeated. And he had to have a new mindset put inside of him. Angelo looked at him square in the eyes and said, look at me, champ. You're not representing yourself as a champ. You need to get your hands up. You need to start dancing. Get your feet moving. Don't worry about your eye. I'll take care of that. Come on, jab him low. Keep your hands up. Why? Because he was in his corner cheering him on. Angelo was also a part of 15 other world champion boxers. I think he knew what he was saying. Look at this scripture, Romans 8, 31, because it reminds me of this. What then shall we say to these things? What are we going to say to life? The problems, the circumstances, the situations, the bombardment that we face each and every day. What are we going to do through our life? Here's the answer. If God is for us, and the question is not God. The question is if we allow God to be God. So since God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to hear something today. God is for you. God is in your corner. When you say, I can't make it anymore, God is saying, put your shoulders back. You are a champion. Lift your head up high. Don't weep. Don't cry. Because weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. You may be hurting right now, but let me give you that healing you need because tomorrow's a new day and you're going to face that new day with new hope and new determination. God's in your corner fixing your life. God's in the corner repairing your life. He's helping you. He's guiding you. He's motivating you. He's giving you hope. Why? Because he made it all possible. Because he sat down. Because he took care of it all. He's just reminding us of what we need to be. He's just pointing us in the direction of the things that we need to do. Look what Paul writes to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6 and 12, the first part of that verse, he says, fight the good fight of faith. 
Paul's really telling us two things. Are you ready? Life's a fight. But through the fight, it can be a good fight. Meaning what? It can be a favorable outcome that we can see good results through the struggle. So let's talk about the fight of life. At times it can be even a fight for our lives. I I just think I know some people in the house that know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not just a fight. It feels like you're fighting for your life. Many times it feels like you're on the losing side of that fight. Because it's a battle. There's highs and lows. There's ups and downs. You find yourself knocked down many times. But you're still here. I said you're still here. You thought you couldn't make it, but you're still here. You're still here. So life's a fight, but it's a good fight. It's a good fight. Despite it all, we can make it through. How do I know that? 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8 and 9. And we're going to start at the end and then we're going to go back to the beginning. Is that okay? We're going to look at 8 and 9 first. And it says, we are pressed on every side by troubles. Man, I'm reading your mail right now. No matter where I'm turned, there's troubles. Every side I'm pressed. But notice, no matter the press, I'm not crushed. We are perplexed means we don't have the answers to every situation, but we are never driven to despair. We are hunted down. Ever feel like you've got a target on your chest? Let's rephrase that. Ever feel like you've got a target on your back and the enemy's hunting you down? Just may I remind you of the targets on your back. That's because you're ahead of the enemy. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. Look at this. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. The Message Bible says we get knocked down, but we're not knocked out. What an image of God. No matter the struggles and where we're at. Oh, we get some blows and we get some hits. But it's a good fight. A good fight. And why is this? Well, let's go back and see why. Verse 7, the one before. For we now have this light shining in our hearts. Here's the ray of hope that we have. Because we ourselves are fragile clay jars. We're not as strong as we think we are. We're just fragile many times. But look what that fragile jar can contain. It can contain the great treasure. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the champion of all champions. The God of all. He is the one that wants to live inside of your life. And this makes it clear that my power, your power is from God. And not from myself. I'm glad today that God is in my corner. He's fighting for me. It's not what I have to do. It's what I need to trust. It's what I need to be in obedience to. Because he has already done it once and for all. Can I tell you the champion who's in your corner. He went three rounds with death itself. He got knocked down at the cross. And the devil thought it was a knockout. But Jesus got back up. And three days later. He returned back to earth and he said, devil, take a look at this. You thought you had me defeated, but I'm alive and well. He walked out of a tomb on resurrecting day. 
winning the fight against sin and death once and for all. And listen to me, he wasn't dead for three days. He was taking care of business. He went down to hell and he said, devil, give me those keys. The devil doesn't even have the keys to his own house because Jesus took care of everything. That when he walked out of that tomb, he walked out completely victorious. The champion of all champions. And where is he now? Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you in your corner is the champion of all champions. He's the God that will never leave you. The God that will never forsake you. No matter what you face. No matter what you're going through. Come on, son, you can make it. Come on, daughter, you can make it. You got another round in you. You got another fight in you. You got another day in you. He's in your corner. He's your healer in your corner. He's the deliverer in your corner. He's the helper in your corner. He's the GPS in your corner, directing your life. He's the I am, whatever you need. He's the I am in your corner. The cross was God's way of telling the world his intent. There was no greater act of love than giving a life. The cross was the way that God shows his intent to the entirety of the world. This is what love is. He gave his life, an audacious love. A bold, brave, determined, daring, heroic, courageous love. That everything that you and I could ever need right now. Yet still we question. Yet still we doubt. Still we have questions. But does God really love me? Why? I know I have those questions too. Why is it such an image of love? A champion beside us. As we begin to tell ourselves... Why would he want to be with a sinner like me? Why would he care for someone like me? If you knew what I've done, you wouldn't care for me. You maybe wouldn't even open these doors and let me in this church. Perhaps today the things you say, perhaps the things you think in your mind today are true. Because we've all been guilty of those things. The fact is this, we've failed God. The fact is this, we've made mistake time and time again. But the truth is this, he's still in the corner fighting for you. He still sat down at the right hand of the Father praying for you. Saying, come on, you can make it, you can do it. Pastor, if you're saying all these things are true. Yes, I am. God's not interested in condemning you. Thanks, Rob. He's not interested in condemning you. He doesn't want to write you off. He wants to write you in. No ifs, ands, and buts. But here's the problem. Are you ready? If we're looking on a scale, a grading scale of 100%. If we're even at 99 on that scale, what do I mean by that? If we're 99% certain of God's intentions and the plans He has for our life, we would say 99% is pretty good. But the problem is not the 99, the problem is the 1%. Because if we don't watch, that 1% will undercut our complete confidence in God. 
your ability to fully trust Him. I trust Him to a point. Let's go back to the garden, can we? Let's go back to the origin. Let's go back to the beginning where sin entered into this world. Can I just say it this way? They had 99% of everything. And I know it's really wrong to say that because they lived in absolute perfection and bliss. They had everything that they could ever need in life. But just for this illustration, it's going to prove a point today. They had 99% of everything. And their lives were complete and well until the devil stepped in. And the devil comes in Genesis 3 verse 1 and says to Eve, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of Every tree of the garden. He's saying, what was it God said to you again? Say that again. What what did God, in the way he's asking, he's asking in a persuasive way. He's leading her in a direction. Why? Because he's cunning. He's deceitful. That's how he rides. That's how he rolls. That's who he is. So what does he do? He has Eve now talking about what? The one thing. Say with me, the one thing that they were told not to eat. And really, he's now already making Eve think about it because God never even told her about it. He told Adam. It's in her mind. She's already beginning to think, why wasn't I told of this? As the enemy comes and sows the seeds. Sows the seeds. Verse 3, Genesis 3, 3. Notice now her focus, what she is now talking about. She says, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it. Satan has convinced her that God's holding out on you. He's holding out. He's not giving you all the truth. God's robbing you of something greater because the enemy says to her, you're not going to die. But look what he says in verse 5. For God knows something you don't know. Sowing the seeds again. For God knows that in the day that you eat, your eyes will be Open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You've got to understand this. All they knew was good. They didn't even comprehend what evil was. If we were to ask you all what evil is, we would say the opposite to good, the absence of good, not doing right. That would be evil. Adam and Eve don't have this comprehension in their mind because they couldn't equate to what was evil. Evil wasn't evil to them. They didn't know what it was. They only knew that which was good. And I believe this. If Eve would have known what evil was... She wouldn't have chosen it anyway. I mean, none of you are dummies in here, are you? If I said to you, there's two options that you have. If you pick the first one, there's a million dollars in there. If you pick the second one, there's a trash can full of trash. I wonder which one you would like. Oh, I'll take the trash can, please. Yeah, right. It's a no-brainer. So why would she want to choose anything apart from the million dollars? And it's so beneath what they had in God. But why would she want to pick anything apart from that which was better? Stay with me. Here's what I believe she heard in all of his words. You'll be like God. You'll be like God. That was their desire to be like God. They were made in the image and likeness of God, but he's still God. He's still absolutely incredible. So in her thinking, here's what I believe. She drew the conclusion that good has to be better or evil has to be better than good. 
It had to be better. It had to be something greater than what she already had. So she sees it. She now wants it. She touches it. She takes it. She eats it. And then she shares it to her husband. Where's all the men in the house? When your wife asks you to try something and taste something, be careful, it could be a setup. You could be ready to lose a whole lot of things. But on, in all seriousness, what am I saying? That 1%, that one thing, caused a massive problem. And for most of us, if we were to look at the percentage of our lives, we're probably not even close to 99 to 1. For most of us, we're maybe 60-40. We're maybe 50-50. Maybe we're the other side. Maybe we're 40-60. We doubt God more than we trust God. I'm telling you right now, if you don't get your belief to overshadow and annihilate your lack of trust, it could affect your future drastically. If you don't have the right image of Christ and who He is and what He wants to be in your life, it's going to affect your life. And here's the reason why we project those ways to Christ. You need to quit projecting the fact that you're holding out on God. So that's the reason why He's holding out on you. Well, I don't believe because He's holding out on me. You've got to just go all in with God and you've got to give Him everything because I'm telling you right now, you're going to win with that. Anyone ever heard of Stacy King? Stacy King. A lot of people wouldn't really know of Stacy King. Some would. Stacy King was a player on the Bulls 1990 championship team. One of his teammates you've probably heard of, Michael Jordan. You've probably heard of him. He's kind of a pretty decent, kind of decent player. That year was a special year. And against the Cleveland Cavaliers, Michael Jordan dropped. Who knows how many points? 69 points. 69 points he dropped in one game. At the end of the game, the reporters came because they were trying to find every player they could. This was an epic event. This was something absolutely incredible. They were trying to grab everyone they could. And one reporter, all he could get was Stacey King. All the other players were gone. Stacey King was the bench warmer. He was a, a role player. He wasn't one of the poster childs. He was one of the supporting acts. In fact, he played the bench more than he did the court. And that game, he didn't get on for long. And he only scored one point. One point. So the reporter asked him, he said, so what will your thoughts be? Tell me about this. What's going to be remembered by this epic performance? And Stacey King said these words. I will always remember this night. Because Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. (laughs) Don't you love that? 
It doesn't matter who's putting the points down. All that matters is I'm on the winning team. Come on. He's already done it all for you. Give me the ball, he's saying. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. I can make the shot. Why? Because he's the champion of all champions. And Stacey King, someone you don't know of, he's sitting somewhere right now with three rings on his finger because he was on a team with Michael Jordan and won three championships. I'm not talking about Michael Jordan today. I'm talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You win. Why? Because He won. You and I win because He won. That's the God who's in your corner. He's not a God who's holding out on you. That's a lie. He is for you. He loves you. And He is helping you. So what else is He doing in your corner? He's pleading your case. He is pleading your cause. Romans 8, 34, look at it. He said he's been raised to life. He's now seated, interceding, pleading my case, your case. That's why we can say we can plead the blood of Jesus. That's kind of Christianese. That's kind of a Christian language, isn't it? For people like plead the blood, what are you talking about? What we're talking about, the cross that Christ went to. His shed blood for every one of us means something. It means when we plead the blood, it's not a mystical abracadabra deal. It's just having the knowledge and the awareness of the authority that we have in Christ Jesus. It's understanding that your forgiveness has already been paid for by His blood. Past tense, present tense, and future tense. It's all done and now He is sat down, seated. God's in your corner means you have the backing of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So the problem's not Him. It's your identity. It's your image and how you see yourself. You're not a failure. You're not a mistake. You're not a messed up mess. That's maybe what you've done. That's the actions of your life. But that's not the person who you are. But the enemy's going to feed that to you over and over again because the enemy knows if he tells you a lie long enough, you'll begin to believe it as the truth. That's not your identity. That's not who you are in the name of Jesus. Repetition is the greatest form of learning. And give Satan something. He's persistent and he's patient. And he'll keep coming and he'll keep coming and he'll keep coming. But I want to remind you today, square your shoulders back. You may feel battered and bruised, but he's in the corner saying, you're the champion. Get out there and be the champion. You're my kids. You're my son and you're my daughter. That's who you are. Not what you've done and not the mistakes and the failures. Who you are is who I am. Your identity is in him. I read this this week. I thought this was really cool. So maybe we should stop begging like a pauper with no power nor plea and realize that Christ himself is pleading your case. That Christ is in your corner. That makes everything, what if possibility, possible for your life. And it places the if only regrets in their rightful place. In your distance part. How different would your life be if you approached every person, situation and challenge as if Christ was in your corner? Talk to Muhammad Ali and ask him why he's the champion. 
It's because of who he had in his corner. Why are you the champion? Because of who's in your corner. Abraham Lincoln famously said these words. My concern is not whether God is on our side. My concern is whether we are on his side. Listen to me. The issue isn't and has never been whether God's on your side. God loves you with an audacious love. That's what we make the issue. Oh, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. That's what the enemy wants. He wants us to believe and accept everything else. I'm not good enough. I've failed God. I've sinned against him. Join the club. Guilty as charged. And God knows that. And that's why he had to die in your place. Because you could not do it. But he died in your place. Not because you are good enough but because He is good enough. On the cross, God answered that question once and for all. Is God for you? Does God love you? Yes, yes, yes. 2 Peter 3.9, almost done. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness. But He is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any, you, me, any of us, should perish. But all should come to repentance. One other verse says, but all should have everlasting life. God doesn't want any to perish. Will all make it? Sadly, no. But could all make it? Yes. 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 Because He has made it fully possible. But there's one more question that you have to make. Are you on His side? Jim, could you come and help me a second? I want Jim to help me right now. In Jim's hand, he's holding a ballot box. It's presidential time this year. A lot of people voting. A lot of people going to a ballot box. And they're looking. But this isn't just a ballot box for the next presidential candidate. This is the ballot box of your life. If we're to open the lid up of the box, there's some things that we're going to discover. And first and foremost is this, God has placed his vote. And God's vote is this, you're forgiven. You're forgiven, I love you, no matter what you've done. I've paid the price that you can be forgiven. That's the vote of God. But someone else has shown up at the polls and that's Satan. And Satan says, no way, Jose. They're guilty as charged. They're condemned. There's no hope. But notice, if you were today, almost there's a swung or a hung jury right now because there's a yes and there's a no. But there's still more, one more vote that's required. And I want you to hear today, you hold the deciding vote. What is your answer going to be today? Are you going to believe a God that gave his life for you and said enough is enough and I'm in your corner fighting for you and I'm sat down pleading for your life, interceding? Are you going to believe a God like that? Or are you going to believe the lies of the enemy that all he wants to do is kill and steal your life? I want you to know something today. God is for you. He's in your corner. He's on your side. But what's your vote? Would you bow your heads all over this place right now? What's your vote? 
What's your vote? What's your vote? One other scripture, just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. From Romans 8, 32, it says these words. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, for every single one of us. How shall he not with him, with Christ, also freely give us all things? Why free? Free to you and I because he paid the price. It's free for you and I. And what's free? They're all things. He says, I want you to have peace. I want you to have joy. I want you to have grace. I want you to have a future. I want you to have healing. I want you to have strength. I want you to have love. Come on, it's all in, in His all things. But the vote is up to you today. What's it going to be? As every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I don't know you. But God does. It's not by chance that you're here today. But I believe today you've got the opportunity to cast the vote that will put your life to places that it's never been before. That you can experience peace like you've never had because a Savior wants to be with you like you've never had one before. So every head is bowed and every eye is closed in this place. I wonder who would lift up their hand and say, Pastor Philip, I've got to make that vote today. I've got to give my life to Christ. I'm not right with God. If I die today, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Maybe it's your first time hearing the gospel. Maybe you've heard it many times. Come on, you've got to cast that vote for yourself right now. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.